guys. Welcome to the History of FMW, Episode 7. This is going to be covering the first half of 1992, along with a lot of little notes here and there about the uh, about Wing. Uh, speaking of Wing, last episode we were talking about, uh, apparently Dave Meltzer reported that Wing was doing a studio-based uh, taping in Tokyo, and we didn't have a lot of info about it, but a couple of readers sent us some uh, clips. So, uh, Brett, if you want to correct, what was with this Wing studio taping? Yeah, so the confusion was um, all over the internet, it's listed as a Corrigan Hall show on September 9th, and so I even have used uh, the Corrigan Hall location for that show when uh, writing about it. Um, but yeah, some some people sent us the YouTube uh, clips and whatnot, and um, so it's actually at the JCB TV studio, um, and it's it's pretty much kind of like a old Memphis uh, USWA kind of style uh TV arena where um, Wing hold uh, held their show and whatnot. You know, uh, maybe a hundred fans at the most. Um, but it was pretty much just to promote um, them being on TV. It was you know a new promotion and everything. And um, they got a, a deal with uh, Gaura um, to air on TV. Uh, pretty much they made no money off it, but it allowed you know it allowed their product on TV. And they did this for about the first six months of um, of existence. And I guess they figured, ah, oh, we'll just we'll just uh, rely on commercial tapes because they stopped after about six months or so. But yeah, they were on uh, Gaura TV, um, um, just promoting themselves at the at the beginning. Yeah, um, this was part of a show called Champs Forum, which I forgot all about, and you kind of brought it back. Um, when you used to get tapes back in the, the day, you would get, you know, it, it would, would say Gaura, and, you know, I found out Gaura is like an ESPN-style channel, and, and Champs Forum went on for quite a few years, right? Yeah, it was um, throughout the 90s, and, I mean, um, you know, FMW was on it uh, up until about Samurai, uh, until Samurai TV started about 96 or so. Um, Michinoku Pro was on um, throughout the 90s on it. Um, you know, yeah, it was always a studio show. They'd have two guys and a wrestler from the promotion, um, and they would just, you know, talk, and then they'd, go, you know, send it to the matches and whatnot. Uh, real quick, for anyone who wants to watch it, if you just go to YouTube, if you type in Champs Forum, you'll get a ton of shows. And one of them, if you want to watch, which is easy to watch, there's a show that has uh, Dick Murdoch on. He's speaking English, and they're showing clips from Florida and a few other U.S. promotions. And it's just a cool little snapshot. Um, so, okay, just to jump into 1992 now. Uh, to start out with, uh, in January, Gong Magazine released, uh, just, this is just a couple accolades that FMW is going to get throughout the year, but uh, Gong Magazine put out their top 10 stories of 1991. FMW's uh, attendance came in at at number four. They drew two shows that did over 30,000 people, and then they were consistently doing three, four, five, six thousand shows throughout the year. And the, uh, uh, and Wing came in at eight, just the fact that it, you know, that a new Federation came to be, and Onita actually won the Best Promoter Award of that year. So those are pretty good accolades for FMW. Now, um, FMW would start the tour on January 5th, and they uh, the first name that I saw, you know, the one thing I always like to do is I, is I like to see, okay, what new talent do I see on these cards? And Kevin Sullivan popped out. Uh, so Kevin Sullivan, he did the first tour in January for FMW. What was his reputation like in Japan? Um, at this point, he pretty much was just known for his uh, Florida and WCW uh, time. So they just brought him in. He had a name. Um, 
And so he pretty much just was brought in to destroy everyone. I don't know if they were setting up for Onita, you know, for a possible match, but he uh, only made it one tour. He never came back to FMW after this tour. Um, so pretty much it was just him coming in and destroying uh, the mid and undercard uh, wrestlers. Speaking of Sullivan, on January 7th, Kevin Sullivan went over Tarzan Goto in a, in a three-minute squa uh, uh, squash. Um, I'm guessing the intent was to get to a match with Onita. Did do you know if Goto had any problem doing such a short job for him? I mean, I think it's just you know the booker, you know the promoter wants you to job, you know, and yeah, I'm sure it was possibly to set up a, a you know Onita match or something. Also, um, you know Sullivan had more tenure, you know, um, in Japan it's you know the value, you know the value is your experience and how long you've been wrestling, and Sullivan has you know been wrestling since the early '70s, you know he you know, probably had a decade on Goto at this point. So, you know, Goto really couldn't say, I want to beat him when, you know, Sullivan has a name and he has, you know, so much more experience and, you know, rep more of a reputation at this point. Um, another name that I saw is uh, Jim Peterson. Who is that? He's just a, a Calgary wrestler. Um, he came in, um, you know, for just pretty much this tour. He had only, all I could really find on him was that he had wrestled um, some WWF squash matches in 91, 92, um, you know, just putting over talent and whatnot. But he was uh, from Calgary, so I'm pretty sure they would, he, they, uh, he was in contact with Fred Jung, um, who brought him over. All right, awesome. Now, um, let me go over my notes very, very quickly. On January 10th, Onita and Sheik, they had a, Bar, a bar, barbed wire match in front of about 4,000 fans. It, it only went a few minutes, and Onita won. Um, throughout the, the tour, they're having Sheik go over uh, Sambo Asako, Ricky Fuji, Mr. Ganosuke, in these very short squashes. And then on the 10th, Onita beats Sheik in about five minutes. What is the, you know, what is the logic of like the booking there? Well, he can't go very, I mean, he's, you know, 67, 68 years old at this point, um, you know, so much, you know, wear and tear and everything. So he can't really, you know, he's not very mobile, so he can't really go very long. So when he's having single matches, it's just pretty much him, you know, either destroying the talent or, you know, walking around and, you know, you know, going into the crowd and stuff and beating up the rest that are cutting them up and, you know, using a fork and whatnot. So it's just, you know, they can't, he, they can't go, you know, 10 minutes plus with the sheep. So, um, you know, so pretty much, yeah, he's just beating everybody at this point to lead to the Onita match where, um, you know, Onita got his win back um, over the Sheik. All right, great. Now, this uh, show on the 10th, like I said, it drew over 4,000 fans. Whenever I see a, a big number for a random show, I just ask, is was this a FMW show or was this some type of bought show? Uh, it was an FMW show. I mean, it was just a, you know, a big show that was promoted, you know, with a big main event because that that's, you know, the Sheik was a draw still, you know, he had, you know, a reputation and name from all Japan in the seventies and eighties. So, you know, him versus Onita was a, 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 um, you know, a match that could draw. And so, um, and you know, Onita knew it. And so he booked this, um, this match to be able to, you know, make money. Great. Um, <clears throat> later in the month, on January 15th in Kobe, in front of about 3,100 fans, uh, Onita, or I'm sorry, uh, Onita lost the WWA title to Big Titan, and later in the month, Tarzan Goto defeated Titan for the belt. Was this just a way to transition the title to Goto without Onita having to face him? 
Yeah, it was, it was a way to uh, transition the belt actually eventually to Leon Spinks, um, you know, because the big match that they had planned, you know, for later in the year was against Leon Spinks, and they wanted it to be a title match. So, um, you know, Onita didn't want to lose to Leon Spinks, so he wanted to, you know, he'll lose to Big Titan, who eventually would then lead lose to Tarzan Goto, who would then lose to Leon Spinks. So they had, you know, four or five months advanced booking uh, when it came to this title switch. With the title changing that that much, like what did um so okay uh, on January thirtieth when Tarzan Zangoto won the title from Big Titan, uh it was the the semi main and uh, the main event was a big Onita tag match. Um, was it? What is going on when like the the world title is the semi main and like how important are these titles? They're not as important as Onita. FMW is Onita. And so, you know, to have Onita in the main event, that's going to be the big thing. That's the big draw. You know, no, you know, no title match is going to, you know, with other wrestlers is going to outdraw, um, you know, be the reason the fans come over Onita. And plus, um, after Onita has a match, you know, he has a big, you know, celebration. He, you know, the, they call it Onita Theater, where he's, you know, blowing water into the crowd and, you know, and having everyone go crazy. And, you know, you're not going to follow that so and you know that's becoming a big draw onita's becoming a big draw based off you know that act and that routine and you know fans want you to be a part of that so for them to have a match and then you know follow that up you know after um you know all of onita's you know antics and with the crowd and stuff to have another match would just be deaf as far as you know get it getting any heat so onita is going to be the main event pretty much at this point almost on almost every show as i said uh the the second tour of the year started on January 30th, just to go over a couple new faces. Uh, one of the faces is the Blonde Bombshell. Who is this? Yeah, uh, Chris Candido, yeah. So he uh, went by the uh, name the Blonde Bomber. Um, he came in from uh, you know the Northeast Territory, you know New Jersey, and um, you know was in contact with. Uh, with you know some kind of an FNW scout, and so they brought him in. Um, he only was on for one tour though. All right, cool. Um, another one is the Starman. Yeah, that's Mark Starr. He um, just, you know, they just kind of changed his gimmick up and everything. But he had been wrestling uh, early in 91 with FNW. All right. And finally was A.J. Watson. That's a female uh, women's wrestler. Uh, she uh, came in from Florida. Uh, so, you know, they had a, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of the talent it was a lot of the talent. It was mostly from either Tampa or Calgary, it seemed like. And so she was one of the Tampa wrestlers that they brought in um, for the women's division. All right, cool. Um, and just to wrap up uh, January, uh, as a note, uh, in January, Dave would write a pretty lengthy obituary for the TWA Tri uh, Tri-State Wrestling Association. Uh, the precursor to ECCW, uh, Joel Goodhart went out of business uh, in January of 1992, and uh, ECW would pick up the following year. So we'll be coming back to that as the show keeps on going. Actually, ECW, ECW actually started up in April '92. Todd Gordon, it was, but it was just at a sports bar and everything. Um, you know, it, w it wasn't what you know what what everyone knows as ECW. But yeah, they actually only started about three months later, it, like in sports bars and stuff. So did did. ECW, did it directly pick up the pieces of the TWA? Because I know that they used a lot of the same talent. 
Um, yeah, somewhat. I mean, it's, you know, Philadelphia. So, you know, there's always that remnants of, you know, TWA, but obviously they didn't have, you know, Abdul the Butcher or Cactus Jack or, you know, you know, at the beginning, you know, these were small shows and, you know, but then they brought in the likes of, you know, Jimmy Snuka and Don Morocco. Yeah. And Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk. And that was the big thing was, was just that the, um, uh, the payoffs to the, the, the talent were so high, they, they couldn't turn, turn, turn profit basically. So, um, okay, moving on to F, uh, I'm sorry, moving on to February, and uh, this will be a lot of wing news for the, the month. Uh, Dave started out by writing that the WMA split group never even got off the ground, which we kind of assumed, but uh, wing would start their new tour on February 9th, and Dave makes a large note about Matsu Naga's debut. Uh, what led to him joining wing, and what made his first match so special? Well, he had uh, the connection with the Pioneer Sinche promotion, and a lot of the Pioneer Sinche guys went over to Wing when it started up after uh, the promotion closed. So they went on over to Wing, um, you know, and so he is pretty much built up as the, the main face. You know, Pogo was brought in to be the top star, and he was, but he, um, you know, was the top heel. And so they needed a face, and they found it in Matsunaga, who was willing to kill himself, pretty much. Um, and, you know, and most people at this point only knew him as you know a karate guy but here he is you know showing that he's a very capable deathmatch wrestler and he makes it pretty much known the first show by being the very first person to ever um jump off the balcony at corrigan hall um in his match so and that drew you know big attention right away because no one had ever done that now you know kasai's done it and necro butcher's done it and um you know there's been other wrestlers to do it but you know this the first time you know it was a big deal and made you know headlines and everything and and you know gain you know wing gain some attention from it right away i know that you don't know this but like what would you know what does the management think of this when they've been putting on shows for 20, 30 years, and now people are are all of a sudden diving off balconies. I mean, they let it happen, you know? I mean, I'm sure after, if, if it, you know, um, if he did it the first time, if, it, you know, if they were going to make it, you know, a rule, like the fire, you know, they don't let fire, and, and after they've made that rule, no one's done it since. So the fact that, you know, they still let the wrestlers do it, I'm sure, you know, okay, you're, you know, if you want to risk that, you're, you know, it's up to you. Um, also on this show, uh, which kind of blew me away, was Manami, Toyota, and Kyoko in Kyoko Inoue. Inoue, yeah, Inoue from uh, All Japan Women. Now, at, at this point, All Japan Women is a very big federation. How did Wing get into a relationship with them? We probably just contacted them, um, you know, and said, hey, do you want to bring in some of your girls, uh, you know, for our show? And, you know, they'll make some money. We'll pay you to let them on the show. And, you know, um, and it, you know, gets winged some attention as well, because, you know, at this point, All Japan Women is a, you know, pretty big deal. So it's kind of a win-win, you know, talent relation. And, you know, promotions still do that to this day. Like, you'll see you know, Big Japan have Ice Ribbon or someone like that, you know, just letting talent be seen by other eyes and whatnot. And, you know, there's deals and whatnot to get them on. And, and you know, it's more pay for the wrestlers. Um, to stay with the uh, the women, Debbie Malenko also debuted on this tour. Uh, I've heard a lot about her. Who, who was she? 
she's uh debbie drake uh she's from florida um you know she's all japan women's wrestler um throughout the 90s um there's actually an internet rumor um nothing i can ever confirm or anything that she's actually uh hooked up with dave Meltzer in the past um but she's pretty much you know just uh, she pretty much wrestled throughout the 90s in all japan women's that blows my mind because he's the things that he says about her is always like he's always trying to change the topic whenever she comes up. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I didn't know that. Um, and finally, uh, moving on to, to the guys. One guy I saw who he comes up a lot when uh, Big Japan comes out is the Iceman. Who was this? It was Ricky Santana. He was uh, from Puerto Rico. Um, so he was just somebody that uh, Victor Canones had brought in um, to work. Okay, cool. And finally, uh, a guy that we haven't really talked about, but he's going to be a, a big player going forward, is going to be Yukihiro Kanemura. Um, where did he train? How did he wind up in wing? And who does he go on to be? Yeah, so he, um, and we'll go over him a lot throughout the next couple episodes because he's, you know, a big deal when it comes to the uh, future of FMW. But he started up in Pioneer Sensei, um, and pretty much after his first show, um, the promotion closed soon after. So he only got, you know, maybe one match. I mean, he definitely got one match under his belt. Um, I don't have any record of them holding another show afterwards, but there was a long period in time. So pretty much it closed down, and he just joined uh, the Wing Dojo and started. Started training um, up with them, and so he pretty much is gets his notoriety at the very first wing show. All right, awesome. Uh, yeah, we're gonna talk about him a lot. Um, now, uh, in February, FMW they don't run a lot of shows. They don't bring in a lot of the foreign talent. Uh, is there any reason for this? There's no big shows. This isn't a really big tour, um, you know, so there's no reason to bring in the Sheik or anything like that because there's no, you know, big headline show we need a draw for. So there's no reason to fly the Sheik in. And, you know, um, you know, and also there's not, a, you know, there's like for someone like the Sheik, they, you know, they don't need to be wrestling every show, every tour, you know, especially the Sheik who probably couldn't handle working every show, every tour, you know, for a year or so. Awesome. Now, um, FMW wouldn't run a show until March 20th. Uh, some new names coming in in March. Who I've I, I always wondered who these guys were. Uh, there's Dr. Luther. Who is he? That's Lenny St. Clair. Um, he's from Calgary. Uh, so they brought him in, you know, through the Fred Jung, um, you know, connection and everything. So he comes in, and he gets over like crazy. Um, he has a kind of a Silence of the Lamb, um, Hannibal Lecter gimmick, where he's like um, for, escape from a sane asylum, and the fans eat this up and they buy it completely that he's crazy and he's going after them, and you know, in the crowd and stuff. And it's you know, it gets big time heat. So he, um, this character he came up with really you know caught on with FMW, and so they brought him back a lot um, after that. He was there for a couple years. Yeah, this archetype for a gimmick went on to do, you know, a lot of people took this kind of run into the crowd and scare the fans thing. Um, another guy, Genghis Khan, who was he? This is Isaiah Rodriguez. Um, I don't really have too much information about him. I believe he's just a Tijuana wrestler that they brought in under a mask. So um, I don't, but I don't have too much information about him. But, you know, he toured for FMW for a couple months as well. Not as long, you know. Uh, Luther toured for years, though, but Genghis Khan was there for just a couple months. All right, cool. And finally is uh, Koji Nakagawa. Uh, he made his debut losing to Eiji Azaki. Um, who did Koji Nakagawa go on to be? 
he is, you know, throughout FMW, he was always there. Um, he um, pretty much, most people would know him as kind of, you know, having a Hitman Bret Hart character where he's dressed in pink and black and with the shades and everything um, in the mid-90s. Um, he would join uh, Team No Respect in the late 90s and be a heel, um, kind of taking a sheet gimmick, actually, of uh, using a fork um, as a weapon. And then he would become Goemon um, in the later FMW years. But he was there throughout the, pretty much the entire time. And he was also, he would end up becoming uh, the FMW Dojo trainer. Uh, there at the end. Yeah, I I always knew him as the uh, the TNR fall guy. He always seemed to be the job guy for the team. Um, but anyway, um, also in this month, uh, Onita announces that they're going to go be going back to the Kawasaki Baseball Stadium. Um, is this already going to be a regular thing for them? Yeah, they want to do baseball stadiums every year. You know, they drew money with the Kawasaki Stadium show. Um, you know, against Tarzan Goto, so they you know, see this as an opportunity, you know, to kind of have their WrestleMania every year um, and draw, you know, over a million dollars, um, you know, with an Onita death match. Awesome. Um, also on this tour, Leon Spinks returns, but he only wrestles a few shows. Um, I'm assuming it was kind of money. There's no point to put a guy on shows if he's not going to do anything unique. What kind of money are they paying him? I'm, I'm, I don't know the exact details, but I'm sure he's making good money to come fly over to Japan based off his name. You know, someone like that, you know, they're going to they're they're going to pay him handsomely. Um, and I'm sure really what it is is, yeah, it's probably pay. But also we don't you know, you don't need to, to complete the whole tour, you know, just come in halfway through the tour. Um, you know, so he started at Corrigan um, and then he wrestled the rest of the tour afterwards. So it was probably just to, you know, get his name out, you know, to kind of make it special when he did appear. And then also, yeah, probably a money thing. Awesome. So uh, this all, yeah, as you said, on March 25th in Corrigan, uh, Leon Spinks defeats Tarzan Goto to become the new WWA champion. Um, if you could sum it up quickly, what style is Spinks uh, using during his uh, matches? It's the boxing style. You know, he has the gloves and everything, and he's punching. They're they're doing moves and everything, um, but you know, he's very limited, and so it's pretty much just you know his style of just punches and um, you know you know and um, just. So that, yeah, he was very, very limited, so I don't even really know if I could say he did other moves. But, um, you know, he would take the moves from the wrestlers, but pretty much, you know, the boxing punches and whatnot. Yeah, I actually thought his match against Goto was actually decent, but the match against Onita, as we get into it, bombs pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, and just for a note, also on the show, uh, Tushia defeated Mi, uh, Miwa Sato to win the, w- the WBA women's title, just as a note. Um, in March, in the Wing News, they're bringing in some more foreigners. They've got Rip Rogers, Ivan, and Nikolai Volkov. These legends that are coming in, do like do they see going to Wing as a quick payday? Are they trying to build up the the company? What are they coming in for? Well, they're they're with Smoky Mountain at this point, and Victor Canones and uh, Jim Cornette are, you know, they have a talent relationship deal. Um, so it's pretty much just, hey, would you bring, you know, would you let these guys come, you know, work Japan for me? And you know, Cornette going, sure, here, you know. And so it's just, just they just had a talent relationship deal um, to bring in um, the Smoky Mountain guys, and that's all this was. Um, what when does Kanemura go over? He came in ninety three. Ninety three. Okay. Okay. I, um, this is just an opinion question, but maybe you have a different insight. So, uh, 
Cornette is very anti-deathmatch, anti-hardcore, anti-blood. Well, not anti-blood, but, he, you know, he has his <laughs> his thoughts. What was it like for him to partner with a company that's doing, you know, the barbed wire matches, the scaffold matches, et cetera? I think it's as long as it's not, you know, happening here or, you know, there's not a lot of blood on my show or anything like that. I don't care, you know. Okay, cool. I've always wondered that because um, he does – well, we're going to talk about it next year. But anyway. He does. I mean he does, he does all those shoot interviews though where he talks about it as well. So he's getting his opinion a hundred times on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, also on uh, – in, in March, on March 8th, uh, they do uh, another match between Pogo and Matsu Naga that's going to be a barbed wire bat match. Um, I'm just curious if you know what is the history of the, bar, the barbed wire bat gimmick? That's actually the first I can recall off the top of my head. That's the first time because I don't think it was done in FMW beforehand. Um, so I believe that, you know, if I had to guess, that's the first time they're doing it. But Onita takes credit for it because um, Onita actually made comment. He was watching The Walking Dead uh, earlier this year and he saw uh, one of the characters with a barbed wire bat and he made comment. Hey, you know, that's gimmick infringement. That's my idea. Are you going to pay me for that? I came up with that. So Onita takes credit for it. But I actually have never seen Onita do it before this show in you know 92 um you know obviously he did it a lot in 94 with pogo and whatnot but at this point i mean i i, I can't recall the barbed wire bat being used in fmw it was funny during the uh the lead up to the to onita's final match he kept on saying fujita keeps on training with a bat but the symbol of the company was always a chair it was just a fun mm -hmm. comment um and uh what else they are now oh okay wing is promoting like each show basically they're doing barbed wire matches they're doing cage matches they're doing they're doing uh uh scaffolds they're doing fire matches are wing and f are wing and fmw sharing a fan base and is there any sense that wing is maybe stealing fans or anything I'm sure there's some stealing. I mean, again, I kind of made the comparison last episode where it's kind of like, this is my team and this is my team, you know? So I'm sure there are some, you know, wing fans that are also FMW fans, but mostly it's kind of, you know, they're loyal to their brand and, um, you know, and, like in after wing closes down fmw holds a wing show a couple years later and with all the wing guys against fmw guys and it's a wing crowd where they're booing hayabusa they're booing all the baby faces they're cheering for the wing group you know so there's definitely a you know a diehard wing uh, fan base at this point um you know not as much as fmw or anything like that but you know like i said i'm sure there's some over, but mostly it's you know this is my this is my promotion this is my promotion cool now um on april 7th uh fmw ran a show at a air force base and if you um this is actually on the story or the fmw world 1992 commercial tape volume three which is on youtube and you need to watch this because onita and goto they come in they meet with some generals they go up in an airplane and fly uh, around uh and they wind up doing a full show there where does this show come from? Who's paying for it? What's the point of it, et cetera? Well, it's in Okinawa. Um, pretty much, it's it's kind of like how WWE does like the tribute to the troops type thing, where uh, you know, obviously, no one in the crowd's paying for this show, um, you know, and they might have found a sponsor or something like that, um, and you know, and possibly the FNW guys are just not getting paid for this show. Um, but yeah, it, it's pretty much you know as a way to you know show you know it's good publicity. It's a way for Onita you know to um, look really good here. It's a way for Onita to get in a you know in a jet and you know fly around and 
and stuff like that. So, you know, it was kind of just win-win for everybody. Were other companies doing this at the time? I don't believe so. I don't. I have never heard of another company doing it. Very right, cool. Um, and also on, on the show, one new name is the Centurion. Uh, who who was this? Um, that was Tim Patterson. He was brought in. Um, he he had actually uh, toured a lot with FMW, um, and and he would continue to tour under different names and everything. But um, Billy Adder, Billy Anderson from California um, had a relationship with FMW. He was another wrestler that would come in under different gimmicks and stuff. And so he brought in Tim Patterson, um, you know, just as pretty much a favor and everything. So um, Tim Patterson would you know come in and wrestle under different different gimmicks, and th that was one of them. Okay, cool. Now, um, on April 23rd, this is maybe go into a bigger story, but on April 23rd in Kurokin Hall, um, after the main event tag match, which is a big Onita brawl, uh, the great Kabuki came, uh, uh, came in and he shot some sort of, 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 of angle that was going to involve a bunch of different companies. Um, can you try to make sense of all that was going on here? Pretty much they wanted to, to get Onita to work SWS. SWS had, um, was a promotion that broke away from all Japan. You know, they brought, you know, they had Tenru, they had Fuyuki, they had a bunch of old uh, other all Japan guys and they broke away. And, you know, they even had a big, huge sponsor. They had to deal with WWF, you know, but it did not catch on. It was financially failing. And they see Onita being, you know, this big star bringing in all this money and everything. And they try and kind of broker a deal where, Hey, you know, you obviously you'll still be able to, you know, run FMW and everything. Um, but we'll promote, you know, we'll promote FMW. We'll have a talent exchange and all that. And you come in and you work regular for us and, you know, pretty much bring in your crowd, bring in your FMW fans to SWS. Um, but it never ended up panning out. Cool. Um, one other company that keeps on coming up that uh, we haven't really talked about is the PWF. Who was that? That was um, pretty much a mixed martial arts promotion. It would end up becoming um, ba um, battle arts. Um, I believe. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Now I, okay. That makes sense. I always see it and I never really knew who it was, but battle arts I know. So, okay, cool. Um, moving over to wing, uh, in April, Kevin Sullivan starts with wing and he'll wind up doing a few tours. What led to Kevin Sullivan leaving FMW for wing? Probably just, you know, a better payday, um, you know, probably got in through uh, Victor Canones, you know, got in contact with him. Someone, you know, hey, you made this much with FMW on that tour. We'll we'll pay you extra to come over for us. And, you know, obviously Sullivan had been brought back or anything. So it was an easy decision. All right, cool. And um, he also bring, um no, I'm, I'm not saying he brings him, but uh, also coming is going to be uh, the future Taz, the Taz Maniac. Um, and they wound up being a team in ECCW. Uh, were Taz and Sullivan all already teaming at this point? No, they were. They they probably came in together. They probably had the same you know contact and everything to come in, um, but they didn't team on this tour. And I think this was Taz's only tour with Wing, but um, they didn't team up on this tour. Okay, cool. Um, uh, a couple other names: the Mongolian Mauler. Who is that? He had uh, wrestled in FMW uh, prior to. He was a Vancouver guy that FMW had brought in um, in, in 1990, and Onita beat him, and you know they never wanted him back. Well, he never came back or anything like that. And so, um, you know, he just probably got in contact with Canones, who you know was around that time. Just hey, do you want to come in for Wing? And sure. 
Cool. Uh, and also the giant Kamala comes in. Yeah, that's the original Kamala that, you know, is famous for our, uh, you know, his WWF time and, you know, Texas and all that. Um, so that's the original Kamala. He would uh, eventually, he actually would come back to WWF probably later that year. All right, cool. Yeah, I knew, you know, when I started watching ECW in the late 90s, they had Kamala 2, but that's somebody else. And uh, one other name that came in is going to be the Super Invader. Uh, who is the Super Invader? That was uh, Jose Roberto, and he actually um, was so pretty much uh, Mr. Pogo was friends with him in Puerto. He was from Puerto Rico, and, and uh, Mr. Pogo, when he was staying in Puerto Rico, became friends with him. So um, Roberto was brought in for the wing tour, and Pogo let him stay at his house, and um, pretty much it ended up resulting in um, Super Invader um, stealing Mr. Pogo's wife. Um, they ended up. Uh, running away together with uh, Mr. Pogo's daughter uh, to America, and they ended up getting married. So it was probably Mr. Pogo probably really regret uh, having Super Invader stay at his house uh, while in Japan. What? <laughs> and what became of this? Like, did Mr. Pogo track him down and get his kid back or something? Uh, there's I, I don't I don't have any information about that. I'm sure you know he never really went back to America though. Um, while you know while you know he was r regularly running uh, with FNW and Wings. So I you know as far as I know they're still together. <laughs> Holy crap! Well, that is an interesting story. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, now, um, also in, in April, they're doing a fire deathmatch tournament, uh, but the matches, they aren't actual fire matches. So, like, what is, um, what is this tournament? It was to determine, because they had announced that they were going to have a fire death match. And so they have a tournament to, you know, for the winner to be guaranteed a spot uh, in the fire death match. And Kevin Sullivan ends up winning the tournament. But by the time that they actually have a fire death match, uh, Kevin Sullivan's not even working with Wing anymore. So that never really leads to anything. And they end up having a fire death match later in the year. But there was so there was no Kevin Sullivan. So it's just pretty much just a tournament to have a name that didn't go anywhere now um as we're going to see in may um fmw you know fire death matches start to become uh the theme of this show kind of um was was one of them following the other like who was the first company to start promoting the fire death match well, this tour is in April, so I mean, I, I, um, I believe that I would, I would guess Wing, but I'm not positive. So, the uh, Wing had announced it. I know that. I don't know when FMW exactly announced this tour, you know, because they had it in May. Um, so, um, so FMW had the Fire Death match first, but Wing had announced it a month prior. So I don't know. I wasn't around, you know, following it back then to know who announced it first. But FMW held it. Three months earlier, but as far as the announcement and whatnot, I, I can't tell you. All right, cool. Now, um, just a, a quick question. So, at the end of 1991, when we were talking, Wing was not doing that great. They were possibly going to split into two companies. There was just a lot of turmoil, and um, now they're bringing in a lot more more foreigners. The houses are drawing a lot better. You know, they're they're doing sellouts. Uh, you know, um, what can be attributed to this turnaround of uh, business? Well, like I mentioned in the last episode, it really was just um, there was a political fight between the two owners. Um, uh, 
Asako and um, and Mickey uh, Ibaragi. You know, Ibaragi wanted death matches, and Asako wanted karate style matches, and you know, kind of the mixed martial arts style. And Ibaragi won, and so they just focused on the death matches. Um, go, you know, going into '92, and you know, they brought in Matsunaga, who was willing to do the death matches, and you know, they had a they had a baby face. They had a, a top guy to be the face of the company to go up against Mr. Pogo, and it worked. So, you know, '91. Like I said, you know, Pogo was there and he's a big star, but there's no one to counter him. He was just destroying everybody. And they, you know, they really, they let Matsunaga, you know, kind of go, kind of have an even, you know, kind of be even with Pogo. So that, you know, so that, you know, uh, feud kind of took off and, you know, it drew money for the company. Cool. Um, so go, uh, going into May, um, on May 2nd, Onita defeated the Sheik in a barbed wire death match in front of about 6,000 people. Um, the match only goes about four four minutes, and most of the match is actually Onita fighting off uh, Sa- Sabu and such, and they kind of wrap him in the bar. You know, they, it's it's that famous shot of Onita wrapped in the wire and stuff. And um, he wins by simply knocking the Sheik down and putting him in a single leg crab, which is very weak, and, you know, the Sheik taps like, you know, he's like 67 he can't do do much, but is there any feeling among the six thousand people that this is kind of a bait and switch match? No, because um, I mean, first off, he's yeah, like you said, he's got the barbed wire around him, um, so he wasn't really going to be able to really do any moves or anything like that with you know his limitations. But um, I've watched the handheld version of this show, and it is incredible. It's one of um, afterwards. Onita starts brawling with Sabu and, you know, the other foreigners and whatnot. And he's he's running around the building with the barbed wire. And everybody, like almost pretty much everyone in the crowd is following him, screaming for him. And then he gets back in the ring and it's like he, the fans are going insane. It's one, I mean, it's something I'll never forget just watching on videotape of just how insane these the crowd gets for him. So there is no displeasure in this show at all. They eat Onita up completely and they are in they love you know what he's doing at this point yeah that is not on the the tape i'm afraid that i saw yeah they cut that out they, they usually would cut out the onita theater stuff um so if you ever watch the handhelds though you know those stay there and you can see just how over and how much the fans love onita awesome um so this of course leads to the famous may 6 uh match now i want to talk about this for just a quick moment this is the famous uh onita goto versus sheik Sabu fire match. It takes place in Hyoga in front of about 5,000 fans. Um, I had this on tape. For anyone who hasn't seen it, the match goes about two minutes. Uh, they get in the ring. You know, uh, the Sheik it comes out. They have some kerosene on the ground, and he's he's lighting this you know this trail of kerosene that follows him. He's pretending to eat the the fire. You know, I mean, Sheik is doing a great job of building up the 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 pre match, but. I used to show the show the this match to 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 friends as like a joke because they light the ring on fire and I mean the ring is on fire and within one minute they all bail. I think Sabu is the first one to leave and he just flies out. He's like, this is a bad thing, you know. And uh, the sheet gets trapped inside of it and they have to get him out. The ring catches on fire. The canvas is on fire. The sheet throws a fireball and then they all kind of, you know, on the the tape, they all kind of just walk away. But I, I used to show it to friends and just say, isn't this the stupidest thing you've ever seen? Like how someone didn't die is amazing. Um, what went wrong in this match? 
they put too much kerosene on the ropes. Uh, simple as that. They just dumped too much kerosene. So when they lit the fire, the fire just engulfed. And, um, you know, they brawl around for a minute or two. And then, yeah, it's pretty clear. Wait, the fire's getting worse. And it's getting it's getting hotter. And it's becoming hell in this ring. And, you know, Sabu, Onita, and, and Goto, they get out. Uh, Sheik ends up getting stuck too long and suffered some pretty bad burns as a result. I'm amazed he actually stuck around. I mean, you know, it's only one minute, but, you know, um, he actually, you know, he stays there just to kind of brawl with Onita and he throws a fireball. So I'm amazed he could even do that because apparently he was inhaling smoke and everything and he's 67. Um, okay, I'm, I mean, it, it's a match you have to see. If you haven't seen it, you got to watch it. It's just crazy. Um, really quickly, what is the history of the fire death match and what are the other big fire matches that came before this? Um, I think it's from Puerto Rico mostly. Um, I don't think there was too many in, in Japan. So this was an idea that was taken from Puerto Rico. Like I said, whether Onita took it or Victor Canones took it, um, but it, they had they had done it in Puerto Rico previously. Um, but this was the first fire death match in Japan. Awesome. Um, and uh, as we said, Sheik got burned. He inhaled smoke. Were any of the other people injured? Uh, not enough to miss any shows or anything like that. I've never heard about them. Um, you know, they might have suffered some burns, but they were able to work the next show. I just thought of there's a part where Onita starts to try to kick the kerosene off of the ropes, and it just spreads the fire more. It's what a disaster. Um, you also wrote that the ring was was badly damaged, but FMW had a show the next day. Were they using a different ring? Did did they have two of them? No, it's the same ring. You see the ring all burnt up still that they use for the next show. So, like, you see the logo, and it's burnt up pretty much. <laughs> they had to get a new ring after the tour. It's awesome. Uh, now, the next night, Sabu and Horace, they defeated Onita and Goto with the, for the uh, the WWE tag team titles with actually Onita doing the, the you know, getting pinned. Um, when I read this, I just kind of assumed that it was supposed to be Sabu and the Sheik. Is that safe to uh, assume? I don't know for a fact. Um, I would actually assume that it would ju was just Sabu and Horace, uh, but it might have been the Sheik, just because the um, I, um, I believe this was for the tag titles was, um, and yeah. so I would imagine they yeah they wanted you know have a more mobile team. Yeah, so he was brought in. Uh, so Sabu was originally brought in to to do the jobs for the Sheik because they they wanted the Sheik and they didn't care who else you know was tagging with them. So he brought in his nephew, and by this point, you know Sabu had gotten pretty over um, with what he was willing to do, what he was putting his body through, and you know he's going through the barbed wire um, on this tour, especially um, where he's receiving all these cuts and scars that you would see in the ECW. It's pretty much based out you know this tour, even uh, especially this year. And so he um, is getting over. So I don't think they would have even really wanted him to job. So when they team him with Horace Boulder, um, you know, that was mostly so Horace Boulder could do the job. So I don't think that they really would have even wanted Sheik and Sabu um, to be tag champs because they wouldn't really want either one of them to lose in a tag match at this point. All right, cool. Going on, uh, on May 15th and 16th, FMW ran co-promoted shows in Tijuana and L.A. Uh, these are kind of popular shows. Uh, and actually, um, I think this was one of uh, Dave Meltzer's five-star ratings of the year was one of these shows. Uh, they sent over Onita Goto, uh, Fuji, who uh, uh, I, I believe Fuji stayed for a little while, actually, to get experience. They sent over Azaki, Ganosuke, all of the women, and also Sohoris. Um 
who was in charge of the of these shows and uh you know why were they filmed and like what are the stories behind these all right so pretty much uh benjamin mora from wwa and onita had always you know been in contact with each other and benjamin mora brought in onita you know had a deal with onita and the wrestlers when they first heard about this just thought okay onita's gonna go to mexico and wrestle but then onita goes no everyone's coming you know fmw you all of you guys are coming we're gonna have a show together with the wwa promotion so they all fly over to tijuana um, and do a show with tijuana um, the first day, um, and you know they have in some um, lucha uh, lucha stars on the show as well. El Hijo del Santo, you know, um, and Mil Mascaris and everything like that on the show, and you know it does really well. And you know afterwards they, um, you know they they actually have a kind of a famous picnic afterwards. The F and W group, and they're all you know have a barbecue and everything like that. There's pictures and stuff of them just all having a good time and um, whatnot, and then. Um, the next day they go to um, L.A. and it's pretty much the same thing where it's, you know, a t it's a it's a Lucha Libre type uh, show, you know, a Mexican heavy crowd, um, you know, and they're bringing in the Onita and FNW group, hoping that a lot of the Japanese fans will fly over. Um, and a couple did. You know, there was a group of Japanese fans, but it wasn't anything, you know earth shattering or wow, we got to keep doing this. Uh, that may, you know, look at all this, these Japanese fans. It was mostly Mexicans um, in the crowd and everything. And so they have another uh, pretty successful show in California uh, the next day. And yeah, this was the show where uh, Dave Meltzer rated it five stars. Cause you know, at, I think at this point he wasn't really watching, you know, he was, wasn't watching too much FMW and there wasn't too much FMW available out there really. And so when you f see these, you know, wild brawls, which this was, you know, it's, uh, it's something, and you haven't seen it before, it's like earth shattering, like, oh my gosh, look what they were willing to do. So I think that was the main reason he gave um, five stars for the match. Um, I think if you watch it now, you wouldn't really rate it five stars because there were tons more FNW shows that were wild, you know, more wild brawls and were better matches, actually. Um, but yeah, there's actually a story. So they stayed in Los Angeles and, you know, they sightsee, they went around, you know, the Walk of Fame and everything like that, but they were staying at a really uh, low-end hotel, uh, pretty much near Skid Row, and, like, they're hearing gunshots going off and everything like that, and um, the story is actually, so uh, Tarzan Goto meets with one of the sponsors of the uh, Los Angeles show, and he brings in Ganasuke, uh for, di you know, to have dinner with them and everything, and then after they're finished, Ganasuke goes back to the hotel, and he's bored, and uh, he decides... I'm going to just walk around the hotel and everything. And he sees one of the employee uh, elevators. And so he sees no one's around. So he goes in it. And so he goes up in the elevator and he just keeps going up and down and whatnot, just bored and seeing what's around and stuff. And then next thing he knows, the elevator gets stuck. And so the elevator's just stuck. He can't get out or anything like that. So he decides being Ganasuke and just something that he would do to get in, to take off all his clothes so he takes off everything besides his socks and just stands there nude in the elevator for over an hour. And then, uh, you know, if it had worked, if someone had came in, they'd probably be in a lot of trouble. Um, but uh, he ended up, the elevator ended up working, you know, eventually turning on and stuff. And um, he was rooming with uh, Ezeki at the time. And Ezeki had waited all night for him, wondering where was he and stuff. And he showed up and uh, told him the story. And Ezeki could not believe what an idiot he was. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, that that's very Asian. That's all I'm going to say. If you've ever <laughs> well, lived actually, in Asia, yeah, there's there's more to it actually in the sense of um, Ezeki. Uh, even when he was Hayabusa, due to the stress and everything, he would decide he wanted to just go streaking, and he would just you know take off his clothes and go running down the street and everything. And they actually, him and Ricky Fuji called themselves the uh, Street Kings, based off them just streaking together sometimes. That's, yeah, <laughs> it's a very Asian mentality for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, so. <laughs> Just to go back to it, um, I've noticed that uh, if you read the cards, a couple of the wrestlers they were uh, they were wrestling multiple matches each show. Um, is there any reason? No, I think they wrestled all the same. I mean, there's they wrestled just one match each. Um, if you look at the card and everything, you know, there's obviously the two shows, um, and they fit in a whole bunch of talent and everything. But they only um, wrestled one show uh, per per um, those two shows. Uh, well, I'm 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 looking at it real quick, and like the main event of the, oh, I read it wrong. They were two out of three fall matches. That's yeah. why. I'm sorry about that. That okay, that was my fault. They were just two out of three falls. Um, okay. Um, so what type of press does this get in the Japanese press? Um, it gets some attention. You know, I mean, it's um, you know, they cover it in the magazines and everything like that. Um. And FNW makes a commercial tape out of it, and you know it, the the Tijuana show actually aired on uh, Lucha, you know, on uh, Mexican TV. Um, so it got some attention, but I mean, it's nothing that was earth shattering or nothing that changed the game or anything like that. Um, you know, it was kind of supposed to start up a relationship where FNW could possibly go, because and that was Onita's always his goal was to you know run in other countries, and this was you know kind of the first step of let's see if I can get FNW and you know me become a star in, in America, but you know, like I said, it didn't really catch on, and um, you know, FMW wouldn't end up going back. Speaking of that, of Onita always trying to run in different uh, countries. Now, this is going to be a theme, so we won't talk about it each time because it's going to be the same story over and over. But um, immediately after this, AAA starts floating the idea that uh, later in the year they're going to do a Conan versus Onita explosion match that's going to be in in LA then it turns into Onita versus Horace in, in an exploding cage match obviously these never happen um and Onita has tried to do explosion matches in the U.S. for many many years if you could just sum it up quickly like what always leads to the fall apart it's too much regulations. Um, it's too expensive for these, you know, for these companies to do it. Um, you know, let's just use the CC CZW show as an example where, you know, they actually thought, you know, because and I, I talked with, you know, some of the wrestlers there and they really did think that they were going to have an ex just an exploding barbed wire match, not even just an exploding rematch, but they thought they were going to have an exploding barbed wire match um at the uh, skater zone and you know I, when i'm told this i know this is not going to happen you there's so much regulations in america it's going to cost so much money the fire marshals are going to be there you know um you know there, it's so much more there's so much more leeway in japan um you know so it's it's just so hard to get through and then also you to run a show like that to run even just an exploding barbed wire match you got to run a very big building to be able to space the crowd out from the ring you know especially if it's an exploding ring match and so you're running a really big show you know at least you know 16,000 you know seat building and you're not going to be able to draw you know that you know a good amount of 
amount of money by bringing in Onita, who's mostly unknown, um, you know, to uh, America. I mean, even at the CZW show, you know, um, you know, half the crowd still didn't, you know, the, of the CZW fans didn't even really know him other than the promos they had saw on YouTube for the show. So, um, you know, it just never really it just never really could happen. Um, you know, ECW wanted to do it. XPW wanted to do it. Onita wanted to do it with everyone, but it was just, it never really made sense because it would just cost so much money to be able to run it. And, you know, they can't, they're not going to draw that much with, um, you know, that kind of style that gimmick with Onita. Awesome. Well, that's it. I, which is what I've always kind of thought just there. It's it's too much money. Um, Mm -hmm. Jumping back to Wing, uh, they uh, briefly a couple of the foreigners bringing in is going to be Wahoo McDaniel and Jason the Terrible. Um, who was Jason? Ricardo Rodriguez. He was a Puerto Rican wrestler that had ties with the Quinones. So um, he wrestled FMW later on when Quinones uh, came back and everything. So he was just uh, yeah Puerto Rico and um, and whatnot and you know he he had contacts he wrestled in Japan throughout the '90s and everything but as far as I know I think he's still wrestling in Puerto Rico even. All right, cool. And um, uh, with them doing all of the bloodbaths and the barbed wire matches, uh, what led to Wahoo joining? I think it was just, hey, do you want to go to Japan to make this money? <laughs> Pretty much. I, I don't think, you know, he wasn't really in any bloodbaths or anything at this point. So I think it was just, you know, he might not even known what the promotion was about or, you know, the style. So they just brought him in, you know, as a name and everything. And it was probably just a payday for him. Cool. Um, now, uh, at this time, Wing is actually doing a lot of different storylines. They're doing uh, Gypsy Joe versus Pogo in some cage matches. They have some reti- retirement angles coming up. Uh, who is in charge of booking the storylines? Uh, Quinones and Mickey Ibaragi. Those are the two top guys in, um, at this point. You know, Ibaragi's the owner, so he's going to have final say. It's kind of like the Vince McMahon um, thing of, you know, final decision goes to him, so it's his call. But, you know, Victor Quinones is coming up with ideas and matchmaking and stuff like that. Awesome. And uh, finally, just one last quick question. Uh, in May, even though, you know, in my opinion, they're kind of on a roll, they're having some big shows, some big turnouts, Wing only ran two shows in the month of May. What leads to a company taking an entire month off? I think actually there were more shows. Um, I can't confirm that, um, but I think it's just kind of um, lost over the years. You know, with Wing, not, when it was around, the internet wasn't, and so um, I mean, I could probably actually try and find uh, the information. It would take a while, but I, I can't believe that they would only run two shows while bringing in Wahoo McDaniel. Um, so I would imagine that there were a couple more shows um, on the tour, just that um, you know they haven't made it in the last 25 years they you know they didn't get saved on the internet all right cool now um on may 24th going back to fmw at the ariaki coliseum uh uh fmw promoted a rather big show that uh would have onita versus leon spinks in a cage match um to talk about the attendance first uh, on the day of the show fmw announced 14,330 fans. Dave noted the building the building only holds 12,000. The number would later get go down to 7,000 and you wrote that it was probably closer to 5. Um what is the history with the fake attendance numbers in Japan? 
Uh, it, it goes back to beginning of time, just like it goes back to all, you know, American promotions. All American promotions lie, for the most part, about their attendance, you know, especially WWE. They'll lie about every WrestleMania. Um, you know, same thing for Japan. You'll see, I mean, usually anything you see when it comes to a round number, it's going to be a lie. Um, you know, it, and even sometimes the the 232s or the 574s that you'll see, even sometimes those are worked, but you know, they're sometimes they are legit, you know, and more often than not they are. So, but if you see anything with a round number, usually they're exaggerating probably by a lot even. And FMW did it pretty much throughout the entire time as well. Now uh, the match between Onita and, and Spinks, um, it, 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 it bombs. It just bombs. It's a match where it's um, uh, just Spinks, Knocks Onita with a few punches. Some of the punches look very fake. Onita goes down for an eight count. They get up and they kind of do this over and over and over. Um, uh, why did this show, why did the attendance do so bad? Did people know that Spinks and Onita were just going to stink it up? Not necessarily, um, but I mean, yeah, Spinks didn't have a good reputation as a, as a good worker by any means. So, you know, no one was going there to see, you know, a great match, but most people don't go to see a great match with Onita anyway. But you, they knew they weren't going to see the spectacle of, you know, an explosion match. It wasn't, you know, the standard death match that Onita was drawing the big shows with. Um, and Onita wanted to, to do this match because he wanted to beat, you know, the world-class boxer, you know, and Mike Tyson was big at the time. Obviously, he, they weren't going to get Mike Tyson, you know, so let's get somebody, you know, the kind of the closest thing to a Mike Tyson. And that's, you know, Leon Spinks, who won the title, the heavyweight title in boxing, you know, 10, 15 years earlier. So, um, you know, that was kind of the closest thing. Who And he was also willing to do wrestling and everything. So, you know, it wasn't, there was no explosion. There was no, or, you know, no death match. Um, you know, it was just Onita against a boxer. And, you know, at that point to draw a big show, you know, nobody really cared to see that too much. So it bombed. All right, cool. And um, uh, Dave wrote that FMW lost a, a lot of money on this. Do you have any idea, like, you know, how badly they uh, uh, suffered? Um, not necessarily. I mean, not exactly. I mean, they, um, you know, there were ups and downs with FMW, even with Onita, you know, I mean, Onita was a legitimate draw, drawing really good houses and everything, but he was taking in a lot of the money. So FMW itself never really was a big time financial, you know, company, even with, you know, Onita at the top, because Onita was just making so much money based off, you know, his performances and everything. So when there was a show like this, you know, there was a, you know, it was a hit or, you know, it was a big hit, but, you know, they would be able to survive and uh, move on. And, you know, it still was drawing good numbers, you know, the house shows and everything like that. And, you know, um, you know, they would be able to run, you know, bigger house show or bigger stadium shows in the future and draw big money. So they were able to, you know, pretty much they were able to survive um, and keep it going um, and deal with whatever money they lost for this show. Okay, cool. Um, now, also, just to, to uh, note, uh, Megumi Kudo defeated Rico Tushia for the WWA uh, a women's title. What is Kudo's popularity like at this point? She's pretty much, you know, becoming like the number two uh, most popular person in FNW. Um, you know, she has kind of the um, – because Goto – who was the number two guy in FMW was kind of just like an Onita light, 
Um, you know, so you liked Goto, but you didn't love Goto. You loved Onita. But Megumi Kudo kind of brought in a different, you know, group that loved Megumi Kudo because, you know, she was different. She was, you know, a good looking, good worker. And so she was gaining some popularity um, with the FNW fans. You know, they had rele they released a commercial video about her around this time, which, you know, that was the very first tape that, you know, they, you know, like Onita wasn't even getting specific tapes about him at this point. Um, so it was, a, you know, a big deal to have something like that. Um, so she's kind of having a, you know, a pretty big cult following with the FMW crowd at this point. Awesome. Now, um, uh, one guy I didn't, I just didn't even think about uh, on uh, May 31st, Tarzan Goto defeated Shoji Nakamaki. I did not know that Nakamaki started in FMW. Uh, what led to him? Like, where did he come from? Where did he train, etc.? He was a he was a very famous baseball writer, and he reached out to Onita wanting to become a wrestler. And Onita's like, "You're, you know, you got to earn it." So he joined the dojo and everything like that. So he actually, you know, starts up here in a main event against Tarzan Goto because he has a name value and everything. But after this show, you know, after that show, he it starts right from the bottom and he's working opening matches and everything like that, living in the dojo uh, and whatnot. You know, he might not have been accepted in the dojo originally if it wasn't for his name, but he had a name and, you know, Onita saw, you know, some money off that. So brought him in and he started from the bottom at this point. Yeah. Um, just as a note, he never actually won a match in FMW, but I, I'm excited to talk about him more as the years go on because he uh, he becomes a big player in like the you know in like death matches and such. Um, one guy who we haven't talked who we haven't really mentioned is actually Mike Awesome. Uh, where has he been during during this time? He'd been out for, with an injury. I don't know if it was his knee because his knee always gave him problems. But, I mean, think, I think just working that style of FMW matches and everything, he probably, you know, he suffered uh, an injury because he was out for about five months or so. Yeah, he didn't work anywhere at the as well. All right, cool. Uh, well, not cool, but okay. <laughs> uh, now, um, in June, uh, I just wanted to talk about the women for a second. FMW, they promoted some type of, of tag team uh, uh, series with the female uh, 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 workers, what is the outside, like, what is the FMW women's division, uh, uh, what is it covered like in comparison to like a, you know, all Japan women and stuff? Uh, they, they're getting somewhat coverage, um, in the magazines and everything, but like I said, it's still like the back of the magazines. Like if you were to look at a 1992, uh, weekly ma Japanese magazine, you'll see maybe Onita as like the second story or the third story, you know, his main event matches. And then you'll scroll to the back and you'll see, um, the undercard FNW, uh, matches. And, you know, there's probably more to the women's matches, you know, like there might be half a page dedicated to the women's matches where, you know, the rest of the cards get like one one-fourth the page. So they're getting more attention. And, you know, Megumi Kudo and Combat Toyota are uh, developing a good reputation as good workers. Um, and as we go down, you know, they're, you know, they're respected by the top women wrestlers in Japan. But um, Toshia and Maya Damore, they have a really, you know, a bad reputation. And they're not known as good workers by any means because they're not. And that kind of hampered down the promotion because it wasn't like this was a women's division that was lighting the world on fire. It was Megumi Kudo and Combat Toyota putting on, trying to put on as good a matches as possible with weaker talent. Awesome. Uh, some new names uh, to round out June is going to be uh, just a few of them. There's a guy named the White African. Who is this? 
That was um, Andre Jodoin, who was better known as Snake Williams, and he wrestled. He was from Calgary. He wrestled in Vancouver and Stampede. Okay, cool. Uh, the Great Punk. That was uh, Katsutoshi Niyama. We had talked about him earlier. He came in um, as the shooter, as a mask gimmick, and so he um, they changed his gimmick up, and now he's just he's dressed like a punk. He's got makeup or you know face paint. He's got his hair spiked and everything like that. He's got a guitar, so he's kind of like a punk rock and roller. All right, cool. And finally, uh, the Body Snatcher. That was Louis Spicoli. Uh, he had worked in um, the the Tijuana and L.A. shows. Um, on, so Onita decided to bring him in. Um, you know, he had he had contact with the Tijuana promotion, and everything, and so Onita brought him in uh, to tour for the promotion. It seems like every time I hear his name, he's got a different gimmick. You know, and the Body Snatcher is just one more. Yeah, yeah, he had a couple gimmicks, but that was a, that was the case with uh, FMW where they would bring in a lot of foreigners. You know, I'm, uh, when you ask me, you know, certain questions like who is this guy, uh, you know, and I I might not know him, but a lot of the times it's probably because it's another wrestler that we've we've already covered. I just didn't know that they changed the name or the gimmick because they just put a, they put on a lot of different masks and stuff on these wrestlers, so you wouldn't know who they were. Yeah. Um. So just to finish out the month, uh. On June 25th, uh, the Sheik defeated Onita to become the WWA heavyweight heavyweight champion in Sapporo in front of about 6,000 fans. Um, every time the WWA title is defended, it's it's only to to switch the title. Um, do you think they could have defended the title more? I don't think they really cared to have prestige for the title. I think it's just, you know, at this point, it's it's just something to throw around for Onita to eventually win on a big show. So, um, I mean, after this, you know, the Sheik wins it. He ends up just giving it to, um, you know, somebody for Onita to beat. So there's not really uh, there's not really a, a thought of let's put credibility on the title. It's just literally let's have Onita win a title on a big show um, and let's see how we can get to, we can lead to it. Awesome. Um, yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's kind of like the USWA title where it's like it goes from A to Lawler, from B to Lawler, from C to Lawler, just back and forth over and over. Um, what was the storyline to the, to this match? Uh, so they, they had signed Tiger Jeet Singh, who was most, uh, most well-known uh, with Japanese fans as um, in New Japan uh, in the 80s, and he was one of the very, very few people to actually pin Antonio Inoki. So he um, gained a lot of fame from that, and so they brought him in. Um, so he, he attacked um, Onita before the match, and at this point, Sheik is still really banged up from that fire death match the month earlier. So he's very limited, even more so, and so he can't really do very much. So pretty much, G Tiger Jeet Singh just comes in and just beats the crap out of Onita, um, brings you know uses his sword uh, or his saber and just attacks Onita with it, and everything, and then just leaves Onita just to be, uh, you know, pretty much pinned by the Sheik. I think Sheik throws a fireball at Onita and you know gets the pin, and then. Um, they, she gives Tiger Jeet Singh the title for helping him win. Um, this is a bit of editorializing, but I hate Tiger Jeet, Jeet Singh. Whenever he would pop up on a tape I got, I would just like get so infuriated that I'd have to watch him walk around <laughs> hitting people with his sword for 10 minutes. I just hate him. Um, and this leads to another Tiger Jeet Singh match, which sucks. Uh, this is the Jungle Island Deathmatch. Um, 
Uh, they set up an exploding ring on a jungle. I think it's raining during the match. I've seen this quite a, yeah. uh, quite a few times. And um, they have a match, and Tiger Jeet Singh pins Onita unceremoniously. He just puts his sword on his throat and pins him. Um, but, um, you know, obviously the Jungle Island death match has a bit of history to it. If you want to kind of run us down through that. Yeah, New Japan had done it a couple times. Um, it was most famous um, with uh, Antonio Noki having a match uh, with Masa Saito. Um, and then they uh, they had another match um, like a year before this show, like in 91 or so, um, I think with Fujinami, I believe. I, I'm getting off the top of my head. But anyway, so they had two New, two New Japan uh, Island Death matches. And, um, you know, they were pretty well known. They're pretty, you know, because of the notoriety of it and how. So Onita saw this and, you know, he had already done so much different things. He, you know, he wanted to try and have his version of it. And so they um, use the same location that the other matches were in, and it's out in the middle of nowhere, and you got to drive to go there, and um, you know they don't have, there's no crowd or anything, and uh, I mean you know it is a bad match. I personally love it. It's a bad match by any means, but I, it, it's very it's a very scenic match, which I love, and it's different, you know. And like you said, there's rain going on and stuff, and um, yeah, so Tiger Jeet Singh you know beats Onita, and then Onita is left in the mud after getting, you know, his ass kicked and everything. And he's laying in the mud and putting his hand in the mud and crying and everything. So as a bad match, I, I thought it actually worked for, to set up the, the, um, the next match with them, with Tiger Jeet Singh. But um, yeah, so it's pretty much just so that Onita could do something different and also not have to job in front of anybody. Well, for me, it was just I was getting tapes, and um, I had already hated him. You know, I'm like, oh, this yeah. boring ass guy. And then, and then I'm watching these these uh, Onita matches, and they're exciting, and they're brawls and stuff. And then I see him, and I'm just like, motherfucker, man, I can't get away from this guy. You know. Um, now, I do want to say one thing. This, and I'm probably wrong, but um, the explosions in this match are like the big sparks that we kind of know 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 now. Is this the debut of that style of of explosion match? Um I think the uh Kawasaki show uh earlier in 91 had those same kind of explosions um that they used. Okay, cool. Um I just want I always just really like those kind of sparks. Uh final question, what does it cost them to put on this island death match? I don't necessarily know exactly how much, but I would imagine it's not that much just because, um, you know, it, it, again, it's out in the middle of nowhere. I'm sure, you know, they had to contact somebody, obviously, um, to be able to run it. But, you know, there's no one actually out there or anything like that other than the press. You know, there's some cameramen and everything. Um, so I can't imagine it was too much um, for them to pay. You know, it, just the only drawback, obviously, is they didn't really make any money off the show, obviously, to not have anyone, um, you know, attend. So it was really just for videotape purposes and to set up uh, the main event uh, later in the year uh, with Onita again. Tiger Jeet Singh. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, uh, yeah, we have a lot more stuff in the second half of the year, a lot more wing news, and next year there'll be another player in the game. So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, before, we, before we go on November 10th, we're recording this on November 16th, my time. Um, and on November 10th, FMW ran their first uh, uh, show uh, post-Onita. They did a show in Shinkiba. Um, if you want to let us know what kind of, uh, what news came out of that show. 
Yeah, so they did not do very well. They announced 250, but as I mentioned, they you know FMW has always lied about the numbers, and they drew about 70 people for the show, and it is kind of an empty arena. Um, you know, they're you know it's pretty dead. Uh, the main event had uh, Kazushi uh, Miyamoto. Um, pretty much he got established as the main player of the promotion so far as a heel, and he just beat the crap out of Gasoku, uh, Gashu Guerra, who's been around, who had been around with FMW since 93, um, and he just laid into him with potato punches and busted his nose up, busted his eye up, um, and there's no reaction to any of this. And so he ends up pinning Gasako, and then gets on the mic. Uh, Kanemura was actually there as well. Um, and he tried to throw in the towel by throwing his jacket, and uh, Miyamoto wouldn't accept it because uh, Kanemura said he was fearing that Gosaka was going to die because he was legitimately getting punched in the face. And so Miyamoto grabs the mic and says, All the FNW guys are lazy. Uh, they're not real wrestlers. You know, he was taught by Tenru um, that wrestlers need to look different um, and, you know, have different body types than the average person and the FNW wrestlers are fat and lazy and you know specifically named Gasaku um, and he how he um, wants to kind of lead this FNW promotion um, you know into a different direction under you know his way of the wrestlers looking like legitimate wrestlers and you know big powerful muscle guys and all that and he pretty much told Gasaku he wants Gasaku to do a thousand squats to prove that he can you know be a wrestler and Gasaku is old he's 40 something you know he's had a lot of health problems and everything like that and um you know and it, it, i i don't know why they brought in gasaku for the main event also i know it was to do this specific thing where he'd get the crap beat out of him but it did not catch on there was no response um mr ganaske who was on in the match uh was really negative about this online and stated that he didn't um he didn't feel comfortable with this this is not the fmw that he you know grew, you know that he came up with and everything this wasn't the style and um he and actually uh, the former FNW sponsor who um pretty much the promoter um, last year and it was the reason why they were able to run Corrigan was pretty critical of Ganoske for being negative towards the company and Ganoske pretty much just said hey I grew up in you know I, my life was FMW and you you know shut up pretty much so um, it wasn't it was and it was something different and it was interesting they do need to do something different um, but I don't know if it was the right thing and like I said it's it, they, I don't know if they can afford to really, because um, take their time on establishing Miyamoto, because again, they haven't esta they didn't establish a top babyface. I was figuring, you know, Kai or someone would be, you know, kind of the new pr face of the promotion, but they didn't even establish that. And they don't run a show for six more weeks, and you know, momentum even for the Miyamoto thing will probably be gone at that point. And so, um, you know, if they can't afford to really run shows like this anymore, where they're drawing less than a hundred people, um, so the promotions in you know kind of a risky situation right now where they need to kind of get something going and it fast yeah i was thinking my uh my friend asked you know what uh, what what's wrong you know what are they not doing to draw anything and i was like well they don't do the death matches so they can't enter that and if you know and then you have tokyo gurintai who are doing the big wild brawls and do, they're doing it way better it's like they don't have the talent they don't have a style that really sets them apart i don't really know what they're going to do going forward because i watched the highlights from the show and it's like a black hole just a ring in a black hole there's like nobody there it 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 looks grim from my point of view yeah yeah, and I mean, they lost the Onita fans, the fans that would just come to see Onita. Because, I mean, even with Onita, 
you know, the reason that promoter pulled out was because they were running crappy Corrigan Hall shows uh, there at the end, weren't doing very good. They weren't, you know, booked very well. Um, you know, they'd have a random show with a bunch of tiger masks against, or black tigers and all that against Onita. And then, you know, nothing would happen again. And, you know, that would just be it. There'd be one show thing and nothing would, you know, there's be no story or anything like that. And it'd just be Onita, Onita, Onita. Well, now Onita's gone and you lost all the fans of Onita. Um, and so, now you're just going to, you know, just pretty much having, you know, 70 people willing to attend these shows. So with nothing really standing out and, you know, like I said, the, you know, the Miyamoto thing is interesting, but I don't know if it's going to draw anything. I don't know if, you know, that's going to lead to, you know, over a hundred people the next show. And like I said, they can't afford to draw under a hundred people going forward. Yeah. Um, do you have any news about Onita? Uh, he was interviewed uh, yesterday, well, actually around, the, I believe, the 14th at Corrigan Hall, uh, Riza Sira's uh, promoted show, um, which was a hardcore women's show. And so he was in the crowd, and the um, Vice uh, Vice News uh, Group, um, that's which is a, an organization with the HBO channel, and they run documentaries and all that, They and they ran a CCW documentary last year. Um, one of the guys is a big-time F. FMW fan, a hardcore wrestling fan. And so he got in touch with Onita and he pretty much was interviewing Onita at Corrigan Hall, uh, talking to him about hardcore wrestling while Onita was watching hardcore wrestling uh, as the show went on. Yeah, um, he's also, he was at the Freedom Show. Uh, apparently they've been popping up here and there interviewing, but they're definitely interviewing, uh, uh, they're, they're definitely doing a piece about the hardcore Deathmatch wrestling because yeah. uh, yeah, that's called, where... it's gonna be called wrestler. It's gonna be called the wrestlers, and it's supposed to uh, air in summer 2018. Yeah, I'm super excited for that. Um, and uh, that's about it. The only other news is that on the 12th, uh, WWF, Mr. Pogo's Federation, they held their kind of fair, uh, farewell show, uh, and so uh, that. All, all of the highlights from these can be found uh, on on YouTube on uh, Morton BH. He does. Uh, he he puts up the Samurai TV highlights, so you can see highlights from those shows if you want to see those. But that's about it for 19 uh, for this half of 1992. So we will be back uh, soon with the second half of 1992. And thank you guys for listening.